All right. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to Eagle Church. Really good to have you with us today. If you're at one of our campuses or if you're watching this message someplace around the world online, always love having you join us as well. We are in the second week of a series called If I Could Just Be Free. The Bible says that where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom, which means that the more you walk in the spirit, that you're filled with the spirit and you keep in step with the spirit, the more that freedom is going to characterize your life. Is that you? Are you a person who's in control of your emotions and your behaviors? Or would you say, I frequently feel overwhelmed by things like anxiety and anger and resentment? Today's message might be the problem that's the most difficult of all to be set free from. Today's message is titled, If I Could Just Be Free of Destructive Habits. Let me ask you, how many of us here have at least one habit in our life that you would characterize as destructive? I'm guessing that we all have at least one of those. And habits are kind of a funny thing, aren't they? Because there are good habits, there are destructive habits, and then there's everything in between. And the thing about habits is you don't often think about them when you're doing them. For example, how many of you come to church every weekend and you sit in the same seat? You're in the same seat every week. You think it's your seat, don't you? Your name's not on it. But you think that's your seat, which creates a real problem if you ever come to a different service time or you come to like a night of worship because you walk in, you go, who's this guy? He's sitting in my seat. It's just become kind of a habit. Years ago, they released a book called The First Survey of American Habits, and they surveyed Americans about trivial kinds of issues, and then they told what percentage of Americans did those things. So, for example, they found in the book that 96% of Americans believe that when you are making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, that the jelly must come on top. I don't think Americans agree on 96% of anything, right? If I run for president, this is my main slogan, right? Keep the jelly on top. That would be my slogan. I feel like I could win with that because people would be behind me. But if you are in that 4%, that puts the peanut butter on top of the jelly. You are an outcast. Okay, I don't care what else you bring to our society. You are a complete outcast. Here's another example. They found that 96% of Americans, at one point or another, have been in the habit of chewing their fingernails. Now, that didn't surprise me very much because that's a pretty common habit for people to have. But what would you guess would be the percentage for those who chew their toenails? You might be surprised to find that 25% of Americans chew chew on their toenails. Some of you are like, I would just like to be flexible enough to actually do that, right? (laughs) It's not even an option for some of you. That's that's why you're in the 75%. Here's another question. When do you fill up your car with gas? About 25% of the people said, you know, when it gets half full, you know, they're the overachievers. They're like, I'm going to fill that thing back up. The majority of people said that when they've got about a quarter of a tank left, they're going to fill up their car. But then there was about another 25% who said, when the light goes on, I go another 10 or 15 miles (laughs) just to see how far I can push this. This past summer, our family went to a family camp with some good friends of ours, and when those friends arrived, I was helping them unpack their car. And they had the usual bedding and suitcases and things like that. But then I noticed a 36-pack of Diet Mountain Dew in the back seat. And I knew the wife didn't drink Diet Mountain Dew. I knew the kids weren't allowed to drink Diet Mountain Dew. And family camp was only four days long. So I turned to my buddy and I said, 
are you going to drink nine cans of Diet Mountain Dew a day? And he got this little smirk on his face, and he goes, no, probably just six. <laughs> and he did. I mean, it got so out of control that the director of the camp noticed how many Diet Mountain Dews he was drinking. And in an attempt to be hospitable, he goes to this guy, he goes, you know, as long as you're at our family camp, you don't have to pay for your own Diet Mountain Dew. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put a cooler outside the main office filled with Diet Mountain Dew. You just come and grab one anytime you want. I thought, why don't you just put a cooler of crack cocaine outside the main office as well? I mean, talk about enabling. This guy needed an intervention, not Diet Mountain Dew at his beck and call. But I have discovered that this is a thing. Because a few weeks later, I was with this friend and a few other guys, and I was making fun of him about his Diet Mountain Dew addiction. And this other guy goes, oh, you too? He goes, I drink four or five of those a day. And then his wife pipes in and she goes, he sneaks up to the gas station to buy them. Hiding it from your spouse. <laughs> Clearly addictive behavior. And he tried to justify this whole thing. He's like, oh, I'm not so bad. I got a buddy who drinks one in the shower in the morning. <laughs> drinks one in the shower, drinks another one on the way to work, and just keeps going the whole day long. We might need to start a recovery group for you Diet Mountain Dew addicts out there. But here's my question for you. Do you have a habit in your life that you would like to break? Now, Diet Mountain Dew is obviously a really light example, but there are others. There are some of you who would say, you know, I really wish I didn't drink so much alcohol. That I wake up in the morning and I go, why am I doing this to myself? Why, why did I do this again? Why, God? For some of you, it might mean pornography or painkillers. For others of us, it might be relational habits. We don't often think of these, but there are some people who are in the habit of criticizing. I mean, they just find fault with everyone and everything. It's sort of become a habit for them. Some people are in the habit of getting defensive or not wanting to take advice. And so every time you give them some feedback or a little bit of advice, boy, they just push back on that. It's just a habit. Some people are in the habit of gossiping. They get around a certain group of people and it's, you know, did you see what they did? And did you hear what they said? And they just start to gossip and they don't even know it. It's just become a habit for them. Let me ask you, is there a habit in your life that you would like to break? Now, what's interesting is when you start to study how habits are formed, neuroscientists have found that the habit-making part of your brain is known as the basal ganglia. And here's how this works. Decisions are made in your prefrontal cortex. That's the part of your brain that wants to make a decision. But your prefrontal cortex doesn't want to work that hard all the time. So once a decision becomes a pattern or a routine, that information gets transferred over to your basal ganglia. Let me give you an example of how this works. Do you remember the first time you ever drove a car? You were 15, 16 years old. You sat down in that driver's seat, and your brain was engaged. I mean, you're like, where do I put the key? How do I turn the ignition? How do I get this thing in reverse? You had to really think about that. But then you drove for about a year. And pretty soon, you just got in the car, and you didn't even think about it. It was a pattern. The basal ganglia part of your brain is there to identify patterns. In fact, in his book, The Power of Habits, 
author Charles Duhigg, says that there are three components to every pattern that gets wired into your brain. The three components are a trigger, a routine, and a reward. Let me walk you through each of these using this example of driving a car. So in that example, the trigger is getting into the front seat. You're in the driver's seat, and that's a trigger for you, and you launch into your routine. Put the key in, turn the ignition, get your seatbelt on, adjust your mirror, put it in reverse. You don't even think about that, do you? I mean, you just naturally do it. You're not thinking about it. It's just a pattern or a habit. And when you do that routine, you get a reward. You get to drive instead of walk. The better the reward, the more likely your brain is to remember that trigger and that routine. Every pattern in your brain has those three components. It has a trigger, it has a routine, and it has a reward. You've heard people say that you've hardwired your brain, and this is what they mean by that. They mean that over time, like water rolling down a hill, patterns have been formed in your brain. Permanent grooves have formed, that connections have been made. So whenever you experience that trigger, your mind begins to want the reward, and that launches you into a routine. And for some of you, that routine is a destructive habit. This is why habits are so hard to break, because you have literally hardwired your brain. With that in mind, I want to take you to a verse in the New Testament that I hope will have some new significance now that you understand the science behind how habits are formed. And what's interesting is the Apostle Paul wrote this thousands of years before neuroscientists knew anything about patterns and basal ganglias. Here's what Paul writes in Romans 12 too. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. But, he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Another translation says it this way. Do not copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. You say, I want that. I want to be transformed into a new person. I want to break some of these destructive habits in my life. How do I do that? Well, Paul says this. He says, by changing the way that you think. Paul says that this world has patterns, that there are certain ways of behaving and living that are a pattern or a habit. And the only way you can change those habits is by changing the way that you think. When I was growing up as a kid, there was a TV show called Candid Camera, and it was a hidden camera TV show. And the way it worked was they would put a hidden camera in an elevator. They had this one episode called Face the Rear. And they put a hidden camera in this elevator, and this unsuspecting victim gets on, and he turns to face the front. Because that's the pattern of when you get on an elevator that you face the front. But unknowns to this person, three paid actors got on the elevator after him, and each of them faced the rear. And now you watch the internal struggle of this unsuspecting victim. Do I turn around? The pattern is to face the front, but these three guys are facing the rear. The elevator would then go up to another level, and a fourth paid actor would get on the elevator and face the rear. Without exception, when the fourth person got on the elevator, the unsuspecting victim would go, 
and would turn around to face the rear. This world has patterns. There are certain ways of behaving and living. Now, it probably doesn't matter which way you face when you get in an elevator, but have you ever noticed that beer commercials oftentimes have attractive women in them? Why do you think that is? I mean, what, what does that have to do with their beer? Well, could it be that advertisers want to create a link in your brain between sexual attraction and alcohol? Do you think it's possible that advertisers would want your brain to be triggered by the sexual attraction, to then begin to desire the reward of sexual intimacy, and then have that linked together with the routine of buying and drinking their beer? Advertisers aren't dumb. They study how your brain works. This world has patterns. And so the question I want to raise today is, how do you change those patterns? How do you just break those destructive habits that have actually been hardwired into your brain? The phrase that Paul uses is to renew your mind. It implies a reprogramming of your brain. And that's not going to happen overnight. But it is possible. In fact, let me give you three steps to breaking a destructive habit in your life and reprogramming your brain. Here's the first one. You've got to identify your triggers. Have you ever stopped to ask yourself, why do I do that? What's really behind that behavior? What's driving that? Most destructive habits have a trigger. Here's what a trigger is. A trigger is an emotion or an environment that sends your brain to desire a reward. Let me give you some examples of this. For some of you, your trigger is stress. That when you get stressed out, you want to feel in control, but you don't. You want to be relaxed, but you're not. And so because that trigger of stress causes you to want the reward of feeling in control, you launch into a routine. And for some of you, that routine is your destructive habit. For some of you, your trigger is loneliness. For others of you, it might be boredom. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, the author Samuel gives a seemingly insignificant detail right before he tells the story of how King David committed adultery. Let's look at it together. He writes this. He says, The following spring, the time of the year when kings go to war. Now, why did he tell us that? Why do I need to know that this is the time of year when kings usually would go to war? He goes on, he says, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to destroy the Ammonites. But David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Next verse says, late one afternoon, David got out of bed after taking a nap, and he went for a stroll on the roof of the palace. And while he's strolling on the roof of his palace, he sees this beautiful woman, and he summons for her to come to his room, and he commits the act of adultery. Now, why did Samuel tell us that this was the time of year when kings would normally be at war? He wants us to know that that's where David should have been. He should have been out with his army. But instead, he was lounging around the palace, taking naps, strolling around the rooftop, and his boredom was a trigger for his destructive behavior. Let me ask you, what is your trigger? See, for most of the time, it's not the big temptations that get us, is it? I mean, if I were walking out to church today, and one of you approached me and you said, hey, 
You want to buy some black tar heroin? No. No, I don't have to pray about that. I don't have to have a list of pros and cons in my head. I just kind of know, no, I'm not going to do that. That's not a trigger for me. But something that is a trigger is competition. That when I get in a competitive environment, I start to desire that feeling of winning, and that can launch me into a destructive habit, which is yelling at referees. Now, do I still coach? I do still coach. But I know that's a trigger, and so beforehand, I will pray, God, will you help me to honor you with my words during this game? Let me ask you, what are your triggers? For some of you, it might mean the break room. You get into the break room at work, and you just start kind of talking and going, and you're pretty loose with your words. For some of you, it might be business travel. You're alone, and you're lonely, and there's no accountability, and that's really a trigger for you. For some of you, it might mean a group of friends, that when you get around that group of friends, you just tend to do things that otherwise you wouldn't want to do. It's a trigger for you. And here's why this is so important. If you can avoid your triggers, you have a greater possibility of breaking that destructive habit. If you feed the trigger, you're going to feed the habit. If you starve the trigger, you're going to starve the habit. But the key is you have to identify your trigger. Here's the second step to breaking a destructive habit. You've got to issue a reward. So remember how your brain wants to work. There's a trigger which then helps you or makes you desire a certain reward. I don't think anybody's ever said it better than James did in James chapter 1. He says, temptation comes from the lure of our own evil desires. These evil desires lead to evil actions, and evil actions lead to death. In other words, there's a temptation or a trigger that launches your mind into an evil desire for a reward, and it's that desire for a reward that leads you to evil actions and destructive habits. But what if you could find a reward that was more powerful than the one that's leading you towards your destructive habit? For years, AA has been kind of the gold standard for helping people break free of addictions. And there are many aspects to AA's success, but one of the biggest ones is public affirmation. That when you sit around a circle with a group of people and you go, you know what, I've been sober for, and then they cheer you and they go, way to go. Human beings are wired for this. Public affirmation is a powerful reward. About a month ago, I was speaking here at church, and when I got home, my family had saved for me a chocolate donut from Target. There were sprinkles all over it, and so I sat down on my couch, and really, I didn't plan on getting up again until it was time to go to bed. But right as I finished this donut, I got a ping on my cell phone, and it was a text message from John Alexander. John's one of our pastors here on staff. He teaches occasionally, and I'm going to read to you his text message verbatim. Keep in mind, John and I are friends. We joke around with each other about these things, so don't take this too seriously, but here's what he wrote. He said, at Woodbury, so he was over at Woodbury watching the message. He goes, you looked ripped in that shirt, buff. I wrote back, I am so motivated by this. I just ate a donut, but now I'm going to do 100 push-ups, serious. 
And I was serious. I got down and I started to try to do 100 push-ups. And my wife was like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm trying to look ripped for John Alexander. <laughs> now, that didn't exactly come out the way I wanted it to, but do you see my point? Do you see how powerful affirmation is in a person's life? It can change your behavior. What if you called a friend or got into a group this week and you said, here's my destructive habit and would you help me break it? Would you check in with me every week or maybe even every day for a while and just find out how I'm doing? And every time that person gave you an affirmation, a chemical would go off in your brain and it might be more powerful than the one that's leading you to your destructive habit. But you've got to issue, you've got to find a different reward. Here's the third step to breaking a destructive habit. You have to insert a new routine. So here's how you do it. You identify your triggers, you issue a different reward, and then you insert a new routine. Author Charles Duhigg, who has studied this idea of habits extensively, he says this in his book. He says, habits are hard to break, but they can be replaced. Isn't that interesting? Because most of us think, I got to break this habit. Duhigg would tell you, you'll have more success if you try to replace that habit. I like how Ephesians chapter 4 says it even more. It says, put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. In other words, this deceitful reward. To be made new in the what? In the attitudes of your mind. He makes the connection to our brains again. And put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul says, you've got to put off your old self. You've got to replace those old habits, and you've got to replace them with the new person that you are in Christ. See, wouldn't you agree that we form habits, and then our habits end up forming us? That your life is made up of not only what you do, but actually what you repeat, your routines. And a successful life oftentimes is built on successful habits. When I was in seminary, I volunteered at a nursing home. And Fridays were ice cream social day. So we would wheel the residents down to this commons area, and we would bring in a musician to sing. And while the musician sang, we would serve ice cream to the residents. Now, this is a pretty high-care nursing home. So most of the people there had Alzheimer's, dementia, things like that. I never saw them sing along to a song. Most of them would kind of doze off. They would maybe stare off into space, but they would never sing. Until one day, we brought in this musician named the Amazing Jeffo. We would get high-end talent, right? We could just snap our fingers. We'd get anybody we wanted to come. And we got the Amazing Jeffo. And he started singing this song that I later found out was done by Roy Rogers, Bing Crosby, and Willie Nelson. The song was called Don't Fence Me In. And let me just read for you the chorus of this Song, it says, Oh, give me land, lots of land under starry skies. Don't fence me in. Let me be by myself in the evening breeze and listen to the murmur of the cottonwood trees. Send me off forever, but I ask you, please, don't fence me in. And when he began to sing this song, it was like the residents were transported back 40 years in time. It started out slow at first because most of them were sleeping, but 
pretty soon, you could hear a few of them go, don't fence me in. And then by the second time through the chorus, it got louder. It was like, don't fence me in. And by the third time through the chorus, I thought a riot was going to break out. I mean, there was a woman, I had never seen her move before. She was standing up, shaking her fist. There was another woman who was just yelling, don't fence me in. I mean, I was fully expecting that they were going to pile their wheelchairs up in the middle of the room, light them on fire, and tell Jeffo to play, we don't need no education. Or we're not going to take it, or something like that. Right as I was about to run out to my car before it got flipped over, it all stopped. The song ended, people sat back down, some of them went back to sleep. It was one of the strangest things I've ever seen. But afterwards, I asked myself, you know, what was it about that song that struck such a chord? And you think about those lyrics, don't fence me in. And I realized that the people at this nursing home who were mentally able to kind of understand what was happening were very angry. They were very angry at their circumstances. They were very angry at God for allowing them to be in that situation. Except one woman. She had a gentleness about her, a winsomeness. She had a joy and a peace. I couldn't figure out what it was until one day I went down to her room and she asked me if I would read the Bible to her. She was going blind. And as I began to read the New Testament, almost every time I would read a verse, she would end up finishing it before I could from her memory. I asked her, I said, how, many, how do you have so many verses of the Bible memorized? She said, well, for 40 years, I had this habit where I would write a verse on a note card. And then I would just think about it as I was driving, as I was running errands. And she said, over 40 years, once a week, you, you memorize a lot of verses from the Bible. Friends, what's the difference between a happy person and an angry one? What's the difference between a person who has a peace and a person who's filled with worry? Oftentimes, it's their habits. Simple habits, the kind of habits that don't seem like that big of a deal at the time. See, I'm sure this woman never thought, you know what, one day, I'm going to be in a real tough situation. But I'm going to have so much of God's word filling my mind. I'm going to know the promises of God. And so I will still be able to have a joy and a peace no matter what my circumstances are in life. She probably never thought that. But it was that one habit that led her to freedom. One of my friends was recently telling me that he started to get up early in the morning and work out and stretch. And while he does, he listens to the Bible. He says, I'm not much of a reader, but I can listen to a chapter or two from the Bible as I work out and stretch. And that one habit of 15 minutes to a half hour a day is changing the way that he thinks. What if you did that? What if you said this week, I'm going to develop a good habit in my life every day, right at that time, right in that chair, I'm going to spend some time with God and I'm just going to get in the habit of doing this so that I need it every single day. I'm telling you, friends, your mind would be renewed. I was reading a blog recently by a woman who said that her habit in the morning was to check the scale. Now, for some of you, that might be a positive habit as you're trying to get healthy, but for her, it was very destructive. She said, I would look at the scale every single morning, 
And if I was down a pound, that was a great day. I was filled with joy the rest of that day. But she said, if I was up a pound, it would tank me emotionally for the whole rest of the day. She said, I lived on this roller coaster of the scale and the one pound. Two different habits. One of getting up and reading God's word. One of checking the scale. One of those habits led to freedom and life. One of them led to a certain kind of death. Again, Ephesians chapter 4 says, put off your old self, your old destructive habits, which are being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. I got an email from a guy that we'll call Eric. That's not his real name, but I got an email from him this past spring. And he said that for the last 18 months, his life was just spiraling out of control. He said it started when he lost his job of 15 years. And instead of turning to God to deal with that, he turned to painkillers, Jim Beam, and Jack Daniels. It got so bad that his wife put him on an allowance, but he spent all of his money on drugs. So when he went to a job interview out in Woodbury, he knew he did not have enough money to pay for his gas. After the interview, he stopped in at a quick trip, and he had it all planned out. He thought, I'm going to go in and just play dumb. And I'm going to go, I don't know why the credit card is not working and just try to talk his way out of it. So he walks in, the clerk, the clerk swipes his card a couple times. Sir, it's not working. He says, you got to be kidding me. Type in the number. And the guy behind him goes, you know, let me pay for your gas. And Eric turned around and he's like, no, 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 no. I got money. You don't need to do that. The guy said, no, no, it's no big deal. Let me just pay for your gas. And so he did. And as they were walking out of the gas station, this guy goes, hey, I just want to invite you to my church. It's Eagle Brook Church, Woodbury Campus. And Eric wasn't a real religious type of person. And so he got this little smirk and he said, you know, that's a good thing it's in Woodbury because I live in Blaine. He said, I'm not, I'm not going to drive from Blaine all the way out to Woodbury to go to church. Thanks for the offer, but sorry, I'm not going to do that. And the guy goes, we have an Eagle Brook Church, Blaine, too. Eric's like, you got to be kidding me. I don't understand this whole multi-site thing. But he politely declined. He's like, no, 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 I, I, I'm just, it's not for me. Twelve months went by, and things got worse. His teenage daughters told him they hated him and wanted nothing to do with him. His wife told him he had till the end of the month to move out. And that was kind of the last straw. He grabbed his shotgun and his last bottle of booze. And he went to a place that he had planned on taking his own life. But as he drove there, he ended up driving right past Eagle Brook Church, Blaine. And it clicked. And he remembered the man at the gas station and how he had paid for his gas and invited him to this church. And Eric said, I couldn't figure it out, but I just found myself pulling into the parking lot. And he said, I went into church, and I can only describe it to you as that God was speaking directly to me. He said, I've never experienced anything like this in my entire life. He said, I gave my life to Jesus. I prayed that God could somehow forgive me. And I walked out of there with hope for the first time in 18 months. He went home and told his wife what had happened. He said, would you please come to church with me tomorrow? And she said, yes, but she said, you still got to move out. And so they went to church the next day. And then they went to a park together as a family. 
And at the park, he told his two daughters that he was going to check himself into treatment. He thought they were going to be really upset about that. But instead, they gave him the biggest hug. And they said, Dad, we love you. and We are so proud of you. And they just sat in this park holding each other and sobbing and crying. He said, it's one of the best days we've ever had in two years as a family. And so that Sunday night, he came to our Quest 180 Addiction Recovery. And on Monday morning, he checked himself in to Teen Challenge. That was this past spring. I emailed him a couple weeks ago just to see if I could share this story. And I didn't hear back. And I was worried. And then yesterday, I got an email from him, and he said, I'm still in Teen Challenge. I don't have much internet access, but I want to let you know I, I'm still sober, and I'm going to be here till July because I'm so committed to breaking this habit in my life. Friends, you can be set free. The Bible says that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom in your life. That when you are filled up with God's Spirit, you can be set free. Have you done that? Have you put your faith in Christ and asked God to fill you up with his spirit, which gives you the power to break habits that you otherwise would not be able to break? See, here's what's true for some of you. Some of you have what I would call a stronghold in your life, that there is a habit that you hardly have a choice about. I mean, you don't want to do it, but you just keep doing it. It has got so much control over you. It is a stronghold. And I am telling you, you're going to have to go all out. You're going to have to go to treatment. You're going to have to see a counselor. You're going to have to get more serious about your relationship with God than you ever have before in your entire life. But you can be set free. There are others of you who I would say you have a foothold. You think you have this under control, but it's got a foothold over you. And that foothold is eventually going to lead to a stronghold. The time to break that habit is right now, here's something I think that can help you a little bit. This isn't in and of itself going to do at all, but this can help a little bit. As you leave today at your campus, there are cards in the back tables. Pick one of these up. And on the one side of the card, it says, what, what's one habit that you would like to break? And then on the other side of the card, it says, a Bible verse that's going to help me is. What if you wrote down your destructive habit? And then you did a Google search. Bible verses about... Fill in whatever your habit is. And you wrote that verse on this card. And you begin to think about it and memorize it and allow God to renew your mind. Maybe for you, it's worry. And maybe you write down a verse like Philippians 4, 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, present your requests to God. And you just battle against your worry using that verse. Maybe for you, it's lust some sort of sexual habit in your life, and you write down a verse like Job 31.1, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a woman. And you just use that as a reminder to say, you know what, I'm drawing a line in the sand that I am going to break this destructive habit in my life. Here's my hope for you, that one day would turn into two, would turn into three, would turn into three weeks, which would turn into a lifetime a lifetime where you could be set free. Would you join me as we close in prayer and stand at all of our campuses? God, I pray for that person who came to church today and 
there's a stronghold in their life. And they want to be free, but they just don't know how. And they want to break the habit, but there's just not enough power to do it. God, would you fill them with your Holy Spirit? Would you give them a supernatural power that can set them free like nothing else in this world can? God, as they begin to seek you and draw close to you and fill their mind up with your word, would you fill them with your spirit so they would have the power to overcome and break that stronghold in their life? God, there are others of us who there's a foothold and we're deceiving ourselves. We keep telling ourselves, yeah, it's not going to go any further. I got this. I'm in, I got this in control. God, would you speak to us right now and let us know that the time to break that habit is today. The time to put off the old self is right now. The time to replace it has come. God, would you give us the wisdom? Would you give us the courage to press into that in our life? And would you fill our minds? Would you change the way that we think and break those destructive habits? God, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if you need prayer, come on down front. Otherwise, have a great day, everybody.